Hour two of the Friday crew here on WRSU FM, New Brunswick. Glad you could be spending your Friday afternoon with us on for about 55 minutes or so left. Jake Schmid, KR Palan, Doug Willig, and Ronnie Walenta, Jared Blateas running the board and producing as well. And we are coming up to the NFL draft next week. Um, finally, some more NFL talk with. Uh, with workouts starting soon as well, Thursday to Saturday next week, the NFL draft um, as well. Uh, so we'll get right into it. So the right off the bat, an hour ago, it was reported that the Chiefs um, had a trade with the Ravens uh, for Orlando Brown, uh, second round. Uh, they've acquired offensive tackle Orlando Brown and a sixth-round pick in the 2022 draft from the Ravens in exchange for a first, third, and fourth picks in this year's draft and a fifth-rounder in next year um, as well. Uh, so good move for him. And they also get a second-round pick in next week's draft, too. So the Chiefs trading away a first, third, and fourth for a second-round in Orlando Brown, and they bolster that offensive line that had so many injury problems and ailments, very injury-prone last season, um, very hard for them to get healthy. Um, so that's one thing, but also the Detroit Lions are open to trading the number seven pick in the draft. I've heard the Giants are open to trading down um, as well. Uh, Brad Holmes, the Detroit Lions GM, said they've been discussing with a few teams. Um, there's been discussions, uh, he said, during earlier today on their pre-draft news conference. They are 5-11 last season. They bring in Jared Goff as Matt Stafford goes to the, went to the Rams. They swapped quarterbacks there as well. They got the number three pick last season in that Ohio, got and drafted Ohio State cornerback Jeff Okuda. Uh, who was limited to nine games with one interception um, as well. Um, you know, he was a little bit banged up, had a little bit of uh, some issues. Um, but Holmes also said that the previous success of former draft picks at certain positions within the franchise, when he looks at, like, wide receivers and tight ends, um, doesn't really distort his vision of, of like, who he's really going to pick. Um, so it's going to be interesting. Um, there's a lot of stuff happening with the NFL between free agency um, and the draft picks that are open um, as well. The Cleveland Browns locked in Baker Mayfield for next season at uh, $18.8 million. Uh, so that's uh, going on as well. And the Panthers are also very open to being to moving back from number eight. So, guys, right off the bat, I mean, we know Trevor Lawrence is going to go number one to the Jaguars. We know Urban Meyer is going to get him um, as well. We know the Jets are um, – they've been looking at uh, Zach Wilson. We know that uh, that's, you know, the kind of guy the Jets want to get after moving on from Sam Darnold. Um, but what really do you guys expect to see out of this draft from teams like the Jets? Um, you know, we're trying to look at Zach Wilson uh, from BYU. He's climbed up the boards. Uh, Fields has fluctuated a little bit as well. Um, but what do you guys what do you guys make of the draft? What are, you, what are some early pre-draft uh, week thoughts? I guess I can start us off. I'm just really looking forward to this draft. I definitely think it's going to be a big moving around draft. I think there's going to be lots of trades, especially like you just said with the Lions at seven, the Giants considering moving. There are teams like later on, like Washington at 19, who might move up for a quarterback. There's been talks about that. I just think that it's really all going to be based off of the quarterbacks because if teams don't trade and teams don't need quarterbacks, like someone like the Lions probably is going to take a quarterback. So if they don't trade out, you might see players, you might see quarterbacks start falling. You might see Fields fall. You might see Lance fall. 
And it's just, I think it's all just going to depend on the quarterbacks. I think another big piece is that number three pick that the San Francisco 49ers traded for. Sure. No one really knows what they're going for. People, We've heard Mac Jones. We've heard Justin Fields. We've heard Trey Lance. So I really think that the 49ers will dictate how the draft really goes because say a team like Washington at 19 really wants Trey Lance. If the 49ers take Trey Lance and Washington might not trade up or other teams in that range. So it's really honestly going to depend on where the quarterbacks go. And that will lead to all the movement that's going to happen in the draft. Yeah. Yeah. I definitely think that that's going to be um, uh, one of those stories as well. Um, Ronnie, what do you think is going to happen? I know you're a Giants fan. I know we've, you know, do you think the Giants are going to trade that pick? Yeah, I mean, I was a little bit surprised uh, to hear um, Dave Gettleman talk about that. I, I think, um, it, in my opinion, and, and again, we have a lot of Giants fans here, uh, but I, I really, um, for the Giants, my biggest, the, the player I want most, and again, I, we, there's no guarantee that he'll be there at 11, um, is Micah Parsons from Penn State, the linebacker, I think. Um Look, I I know wide receiver going into the into the free agency period was was a need, and I think a lot of people were looking at you know Devonte Smith. Um, if I mean I doubt Jamar Chase would have been there, but guys like that, um, and even Kyle Pitts too. Um, but I do think that they have a lot of weapons. I really like what they're uh, what they've cultivated. I, I like the signings they made with um, Kenny Galladay, John Ross being that speed threat, going to run a lot of go routes and. Uh, Kyle Rudolph being that backup tight end. Um, so in my opinion, if Micah Parsons is there, I want Micah Parsons. Um, I think linebacker, linebacker is their weakest point. Um, I think uh, their defensive line is still very good, uh, even though they lost Dalvin Tomlinson. They, they kept a lot of players and added as well. Um, and I like the veteran secondary. So I think linebacker for me is the biggest uh, biggest need. And if I, I think if Parsons is there, that's the guy they should pick. Now, it'll depend on when he goes. If he goes early, um, then obviously I would have hoped that they trade it and uh, I would take more picks rather than uh, go for someone like a, an edge rusher like Rousseau from, from Florida, I believe, or, or a guy like that. So uh, it'll be interesting to see what they do, um, but I really like the playmakers they have. I don't think they necessarily need to add a first-rounder um, in that area. So for me, uh, even though the defense was really good last year, I think – uh, I would add uh, Parsons if he's there. And, and if not, then I, I I don't blame Gettleman for being open to a trade down. Yeah, I, I think that's uh, that's a good way to look at it as well. Um, definitely good to think about, too. Uh, K.O.R., I know, you know, you're a Giants fan, too, um, but you're also a big NFL guy. What do you really think is going to happen um, between, I guess, like the fifth pick and, like, you know, down the line at round one? Because we already know, you know, roughly who's going to get who in the top five. Yeah, um, we kind of dove into this on the Wednesday cruise, so I guess I'll just relay my thoughts from there. But I honestly, I'm on the opposite boat of um, what uh, Ronnie has expected of, uh, you know, Giants fans hoping for on draft night. I hope that, one, we don't trade away that 11th pick, and two, that we select a wide receiver with that 11th pick. Um, Same. I'm in your camp. If If... If you're on a draft board and you have the Heisman Trophy winner or yep. arguably the best wide receiver asset in Jalen Waddle available in this draft board, you're 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 taking them. Especially no after asked. signing Yeah, especially after signing Kenny Galladay 
and you're going to have Daniel Jones in what might what could be his prime season so far in the NFL. Right. You're going to have Saquon Barkley coming back from uh, hopefully what's been a healthy recovery after his uh, season-ending ACL injury. And you're going to have a bolstered up what possibly could be a more comfortable offensive line and you know just overall a, a better offensive team that you're going to see on the field with that asset that you would get from the draft. Um, as for the remainder of the draft, I do think that before that Giants pick, uh, we're going to have the New England Pe- Patriots sneaking up in there, uh, maybe ha- getting trades with uh, either the Dallas Cowboys, in my opinion, or even um, the Detroit Lions might be trading away their pick to uh, what I think will be the New England Patriots who might move up. And I think this will be on a couple of factors. One, if Mac Jones is available um, by the seventh pick, which I think might be available, uh, depending on if Justin Fields gets picked up before or not. And I think he should. Um, so that will be one of the cases where um, New England might move up and anger a lot of AFC East fans. Uh with another great quarterback coming their way, hopefully, or, or, you know, potentially. And then later on in the draft, I do think that Najee Harris, who had a fantastic uh, college football playoffs, is most likely going to fall to the Pittsburgh Steelers, who had kind of given up on James Conner earlier this week. But, yeah, and then the rest of it, uh, I don't know. I don't know how it's going to go. Um, there's a lot of potential in this draft board, but I think the top 10 picks will, will kind of set the demeanor for, for the remainder of the first round and the remainder of the draft as well. Yeah, definitely. And I, I'm, I'm with you all the way. I mean, you know, if he's available, Jalen Waddle's available, you have to get him. I mean, the Giants definitely need to bolster their receiving. Um, they've really struggled with that since, you know, Odell Beckham Jr. left and, um, they've definitely, you know, they got to get there. They definitely have a good secondary. We've seen, you know, with James Bradbury uh, playing well with Logan Ryan. Um, you know, they've they definitely look improved there. I think that the receiver is a good position to target. Um, you know, this could be this is definitely going to be a big season for Jones. I think that he's got to hold on to the football more. Um, but I, you got to go for uh, for a receiver. I think you got to keep that eleventh pick. It's a it's a you have there's going to be some lot of good people available um, on boards. Um, as well. Um, but what do you guys think about a team like the Panthers or even uh, the Washington football team? Uh, Jerry, I know you're a Washington fan. Um, you know, what do you think they're gonna? What are the met? What are the goals for Washington for this draft? Teams like Washington, teams like Carolina, who are trying to get back uh, into the playoffs. Yeah, for Washington, I'll be honest. What I think we're gonna do in the draft, even like the Washington fans, like every day it's something new. Like one day we're taking Trey Lance, the next we're trading up for Micah Parsons, the next we're Hope we're training up for Justin Fields. I don't think they know what they're going to do. I, it's, I just think that, like, Washington, I personally think that Washington is in the best position to take someone like Trey Lance. Or yeah, even they in the are. Later what round, pick like, they have again? They've got, well, I think that it's because they've got Fitzpatrick. And I think that, like, someone like Trey Lance or maybe in a later round, Kellen Mond, I think those are a good quarterback that you maybe want to sit a year and take the Patrick Mahomes route. And Fitzpatrick is a perfect mentor to do that. Yeah. Fitzpatrick's on a one year contract. Let him start all 16 games. Hopefully he stays healthy. And then you draft the future this season. He does. And say you draft Trey Lance, 
he doesn't have to take a single snap this year. He could just learn. Because like in college, he's barely played in college. And I think that will be a perfect place for him to learn. So I think Washington is going to trade up for a quarterback. But if they don't, I think they're just going to sit at 19 and probably just take the best player available. Which I think I think a lot of teams in the, like the mid to late first round are just going to take the best player available. Because like... Honestly, like, when you look so much into it in the draft, like, teams miss on picks all the time. Like, teams try and overthink it. They try and be fancy. At the end of the day, and personally, I think you just take the best player available. And that's what I think teams like Washington might do. If trades don't work out, they might just sit at the pick they have and just take someone because, like, no football team is perfect. You can always use a good player, and the first round is full of talent. So why not just take the best guy at your pick? Yeah, that's that's a great way to think about it. Um, I think that that's... One reason to look at, um, you know, this definitely, um, you know, look at a team like Carolina who's talking about trading it. And those were one of the teams that had the high hopes for Deshaun Watson before all the, you know, the allegations, sexual assault against Deshaun Watson have surfaced and everything. Um, you know, but what what has to happen now um, for teams like Carolina, for teams that are a little bit less on the on the draft board, not just on the draft board, but, you know, in the record, trying to get back up to a winning record. Um, they've struggled with that. Um, what, what do you, what do you guys think really has to happen, you know, in that, in the late rounds and even like the second, third rounds, you know, what are teams like the Giants going to do? Yeah, Shmeed, you know, that's an interesting question. Like this, this doesn't answer it directly, but I just, I agree with what Jared was saying, how like this stuff is, it's really hard to predict. And like Shmeed, like what what you're saying, you know, asking about the second, third rounds, it's just really hard like to know what's going on. And I know that we see lots of mocks that we like, we try to figure it out and try to figure out what our team is going to do. I was looking back because like, I like try to make a mock every year of like the first round and like a spreadsheet because somewhat, a couple of my friends do this, so I haven't done it every year, but I was looking back at my 2017 first round mock and I had Patrick Mahomes going 23rd to the Giants. And now if we're like looking back at that 2017 draft now, like obviously Patrick Mahomes is going to be the number one pick, but I'm looking back a couple of my other friends, like they had Patrick Mahomes going like 25 Someone else had him going like 13. And like if we like look back at that draft now, like we know Mahomes should have went one. Miles Garrett went one in 2017, and he's been a great player. If we did a redraft. Like, because we're doing all these predictions now, just to like look back two, three years from now and see how things shape, like, you know, shift out. So yeah, Shmi, that didn't answer your question directly. I know I'm sorry, but like I just find it's kind of interesting. It's really hard to predict this stuff. And some stuff ends up being like huge misses. Some stuff we end up like, you know, getting exactly right. And it's just really hard to know what's actually going to happen and which players are like actually going to pan. Yeah, definitely. I, I think that that's a, that's a good way to look at it. Um, you know, that's definitely uh, one way to look at it. I think that you, you got to have a very broad lens uh to view this um there's you don't know who's gonna be available but it's also about what um what you could see um as well um so there's definitely a lot of uh a lot of options there as well um we'll step aside for a little bit we got uh rapid fire coming up and uh some other uh sports news as well keep it tuned here to wrsu fm new brunswick and online at wrsu.org for the friday crew and we're back here on the Friday crew about 20 minutes or so outside of rapid fire here in the final hour of the Friday crew. Um, I want to go back to the NBA guys and, um, and resurface and dive deeply more um, 
not just from the playoffs, but from general about the Nets and the Knicks. Um, we got the Nets-Celtics today. we got a big weekend in basketball with the Knicks-Raptors uh, tomorrow as well. Uh, good slate. And then Sunday, the Suns and the Nets, the top team, one of the top teams in the West, and it's top team in the East in the Nets. So good matchups there for both teams. It's definitely going to be, and the Suns play the Knicks too on Monday. Um, so it's it's definitely going to be good to see uh, some good competition from the West. Um, and Doug, we talked about this before. We talked about the Nets and the Suns um, a little bit. And the Nets, you know, tie with the Sixers. They both have 39 and 20. The Suns um, are a little bit better than the Nets at, um, you know, 7 12 win percentage, 42 and 17. Um, what do you really, what do you guys really think, you know, this, you know, East West matchup, um, going forward, coming up, uh, Doug, I'll ask you and KOR too. What do you guys think about the Suns and the Nets? You know, this is going to be kind of a good preview for the Nets. You know, if they're going to make it to the NBA finals, they're going to beat a team like Philly, um, in the conference finals to go there. They're going to be facing a quality team like the Suns out of the West or even the Lakers. Yeah, I, in, in terms of the Suns. So I want to be honest. I haven't watched a lot of the Suns this year. I've caught them on national TV like a couple times, but I haven't seen a lot of their games. So this opinion is like not coming from an expert, but my guess would be that the Suns probably don't make it out of the West. And I know, like you said, they're the, they're like the they're the two seed right now. Or they're the one seed. I think they're the two behind they're the, the Jazz. Uh, right? They're the two seed, but they're they're two games behind the Jazz for one. That's that close one, two, three game back between the top three in the West. Right, and Chris Paul's been playing like really good this year. Yeah, right? that was one of the smartest moves of the off season. I think that was the one of the best moves. Yeah, it's it's been surprising. I mean, when he went there, like my first thought was that, like, okay, I mean, like he's he's like kind of old. Like I know he's still been playing well, but he's what, like thirty five or like thirty six. Yeah, he's he's past his prime a little bit. Yeah. I mean, Devin Booker's like good, but the Suns, they just missed out on the playoffs last year. Like they're probably not going to do anything this year. And then that ended up being completely wrong. Like I was completely wrong there. I've been completely wrong on a lot. I thought LaMelo Ball was going to be bad and that he shouldn't have been the I, I would have been right there with you with LaMelo, too. I remember we talked yeah, about and then that. He, right, and then he ended up being, like, phenomenal. Like, my guess was that, all right, he's playing, like, in these league program. He's just doing, like, completely his own thing. And I thought, like, all right, there's no way, like, like this is just going to be a gimmick. And then he ended up being, like, phenomenal until he got hurt. So with the Suns, maybe I'll be completely wrong again. Maybe they'll end up making it out of the West. But, you know, I don't think that will happen still because the playoffs are different. Playoff basketball is different. You know, Jared was making the point earlier, assuming the underdog, you know, shoot 55% from three and just play lockdown defense and click and their chemistry is working and everything that needs to go right goes right like assuming that doesn't happen the superstar power like probably wins out and that's why my guess is that the sun don't advance to the finals but still it's impressive what they're doing now and i know you didn't ask for a finals prediction but if i had to give a finals prediction right now i'd say and hopefully that nets chemistry can click in the playoffs because if it can't because, you know, they haven't had a lot of time playing together in this regular season, then I would say probably, like, Sixers-Lakers if the Nets can't get things going in the playoffs. Yeah, definitely. And you know what? 
Well, let's let's do it. Let's talk about some, you know, who do we think is going to be in the finals? Who do we think is going to really emerge on the scene in the finals? Um, you know, what do you guys, who's an unexpected team you guys think could make a run? And let's hear some finals predictions. Uh, Kaori, what do you got for us? Um, you know, I would say the sensible thing to say would probably be the Nets Lakers. Uh, but I guess I'll play devil's advocate and see who uh, can, you know, ruin those hopes for whoever has Nets or Lakers future bets. Um, I don't know, to be honest, like out of the, I think it's whoever comes out of the East is probably going to have the most momentum because they're going to have to essentially make a name for themselves. Um, if Trey Young comes back very healthy after his ankle injury that he had yesterday or, or a couple of days ago, um, I think the Hawks can be one of those teams that have a young, young core of a team. Um, but listen, if the Knicks can continue their win streak, they've won eight straight. Um, if they can go on a really, really good stretch and be in good form, I wouldn't be surprised if Tom Thibodeau, who's been in the playoffs before, can can figure out a way to kind of maneuver them in a good position. Um, from the West... I don't know. This is where it also gets interesting because there's a lot of uh, talented team here. Like we had mentioned before, if you split up the West in half, I think the lower half of the West can still be that beat the top half in the East. So um, it's once again going to depend on who's who's going to kind of go in there with the most momentum. Sleeper teams, I would probably take, I don't know, the Mavs, Blazers. Um, right. would probably be my, my, my two sleeper picks. Um, I don't think the Suns are going to get pretty, pretty far. The Jazz, I think so. I, I think they'll put on a good run. They've had a pretty fantastic season. Very defensive-oriented team. So that obviously plays big in, in the playoffs. Um, but, yeah, other than that, I don't think the Clippers and Nuggets are, are going to be at the top of anybody's list from here on out um, just because of – all the other talented teams that have shown up this season. So it should be a fun playoffs this year, though, especially with the play-in. Um, I don't know. NBA playoffs are always fun. So I-, I hope it's not Nets and Lakers. And if it is, I'm sure it'll still be very entertaining. Yeah, definitely. I think it's going to be, you know, something of that nature. I think Nets Lakers definitely could be interesting too. Um, we've seen Philadelphia try to get to the finals and they've been, you know, whether it's injuries or whether it's, not making the shots they should make. Um, it's I don't really see them making it. Um, I think that the uh, I think the Bucks definitely they want to get there, and we've seen that they can get there. But the thing that concerns me about them is you know they're seventeen and twelve away. They've lost twelve times away. Um, they're a very high scoring team. They're actually uh, they score the most points per game, one hundred nineteen as a team in the, like uh, in the conference. Um, actually, in the whole NBA, so I think they can put up a lot of points. I think the Bucks, a lot of people are sw- are sleeping on. Um, I don't see the Celtics as a force. You know, they're not that good away. They're thirteen and sixteen. They're under five hundred in their um in the division. Um, but the Bucks are undefeated in that division. Um, and obviously, you know, rightfully so, they're number one. And then you have they only have to face the Pacers and the Bulls and the Cavs and the Pistons. But um, I I could see I could see the Bucks uh, making a little bit of news some headway. I could see them coming up. Um, they have split their last ten games evenly right down the stretch. So um, there's there's definitely room for them to grow. But I'm you know I I always expect the Bucks to just be better than they are. Like they're only two and a half games outside of the Nets, and 
you know, they could, if you could see if the health injury play, plagues the next more, if uh, Harden still gets sit, continues to sit out, if, um, if uh, Kyrie's, uh, not Kyrie, if, um, um, if the Nets, uh, Durant is limited more, um, you know, cause he's not coming back tonight. Uh, that could be something too for the Nets. Um, but the Nets also, you know, they've gotten into, they've played well, you know, without Durant, um, aside from that Raptors game. I mean, that was atrocious to watch 114 to 103 loss, but they beat the Pelicans barely beat them. Um, they won single digits against them. Kyrie had a great game. Zion Williamson had a great game too. He had 33 points in that game. Um, but Kyrie that Kyrie had a 32 point performance 12 of 19 from the floor he was instrumental from free throw range he also had eight assists and he only committed five turnovers so Kyrie Irving has stepped up in when people have been when guys have been hurt Jeff Green has been playing well he had 15 points in that game too and of course Joe Harris has been has been great he's and Blake Griffin off the bench has been great Bruce Brown has been great um Luau Luau Cabarro he's been great too um, so, and Landry Shamay, I mean, I've been very, very, very pleased with Landry Shamay, um, and how he's been playing, averaging about 10 points a game, but for him, it's more, you know, his presence and him stretching the floor, um, last 10 games, averaging 16 points per game against Boston, he's averaging double digits. So I, I like the Nets like bench. I think they're in a good position with their bench right now. I think that that'll help them a little bit and getting Dinwiddie back. Hopefully they said before the postseason that will be good too. Yeah, I I think that's all good points. You know, Joe Harris is, and you know, I, I didn't mention Joe Harris before, but I'm glad you brought him up now because Joe Harris has just been so great for the Nets, really. And he's actually the longest, I believe he's the longest tenured Net. Both him yeah, and he signed that contract in, too. Yeah, yeah, and I think in, he came in summer 2016, and I think Dinwiddie came in maybe like December, like 2016, like in the middle of that 16, 17 season. So both him and Dinwiddie are the longest tenured Nets, and they, of course, you know, were there for that whole that when they made the playoffs with D'Angelo Russell and Karis LeVert. So they're kind of the spillover from that team. Yeah, and even Jeremy and just, Lin. Yeah. yeah, right, right. And Jer- Jeremy Lin didn't get to play much for the Nets. No, he, he was limited with like injuries. Yeah, yeah, he played like one game maybe that first year. Like he got injured the first game I remember, and then the next year. He, I think maybe he played like 18 games. Because he came in that same season, Dinwiddie's first season on, in Brooklyn. He, he was there 2016 to 2018 for two, for a couple seasons too. Right, right. Yeah, so just really, you know, and of course now he's gone. I think Jeremy Lin's currently in the G League, but... Yeah, the Warriors uh, yeah, so G D- League team. Right, right. And yeah, so really just Dinwiddie and Harris are the spillovers, and they've been here for a while, so... If Dinwiddie is healthy come playoff time and if he's able to play and, you know, kind of, he'll probably be rusty at first, of course, but if he can shake past that and be a contributor, you know, you know, a good leader for the second unit, maybe for the conference finals and, you know, come time for the finals, that'll just be exciting to see. It's just exciting. You know, the Nets were really not a relevant franchise on the national level for a long time. So to see them be at that relevant levels, it's, it's really exciting for the fan base. I think for the for the city of New York too, it's a very it's a very you know good opportunity for them to um, to you know get some relevancy. Not even for, for the Nets, but for the Knicks too. I mean, you know that's you know they play in the Big Apple, they play in MSG, and you know the Rangers are on the rise. Um, you know, Ronnie, they're you know they might not make the playoffs this year, but you guys got in the playing tournament last year um, with the expansion, and you know you got Lafernier on the up and coming. But the Knicks, um, 
I mean, the Knicks, I think Thibodeau is the perfect coach for them just because of his background with the Bulls and what he's been doing, um, you know, from a coaching standpoint, you know, he well could be a coach of the year candidate. Um, I think that he's, he definitely could be, um, you know, he's, he's been also with the, um, men's basketball, uh, USA basketball coaching too. Um, this is a guy who came into the bulls, you know, for five years, but in, in 2010, uh, you know, with the bulls, they were, they were not that good. The 2009 bulls were pretty bad. Um, they were one of the, one of the worst teams, um, in the NBA, um, as well. Um, from their point of view, they're used to being there. They finished about 500, but for them, for them, they were one of the worst. They had Derrick Rose uh, in his rookie year. They had everybody young, but before that, they were they were arguably one of the worst teams before that season when they were they only won 33 games the year before in 2008. So he's definitely has a he's got a way of turning teams around, and especially you know the Bulls, who were one of the lowest scoring teams in the country. Uh, in the NBA. So I think that, and they had, you know, they weren't even that drawing that many people to watch them. So um, there's definitely upside for the Knicks. Um, I saw like, there's a clip of this Spike Lee getting all like animated on the sideline. And it's, it's good that he's, you know, for the right reasons um, for the Knicks and they're, they're on the up and coming. I mean, they are what they've done since Tyson Chandler, since Carmelo Anthony, um, since Amari Stoudemire, um, even Jeremy Lin, you know, those years, um, Raymond Felton, uh, J.R. Smith, uh, Iman Shumpert, like those teams, they've they've evolved, they've gotten younger, they've a couple, you know, Lance Thomases of the of the NBA came and and didn't conquer New York at all. They did the exact opposite. They swung and whiffed. Um, they they're you know they uh, they had that stuff as well. Um, they've struggled, um, of course, you know Frank Nitalikina and all the the draft day uh, with Frank Nitalikina as well, and the Knicks in the you know Porzingis too. Um, but there right now, they they got through the dark ages for them, which felt more like 10 years than four, um, than five, really. But um, the Knicks are definitely a rising team. And I think that even next year, you know, they, they have a very good chance to cement themselves. They've, can they still, you know, they don't have as much, they have some more room, cap room. They don't have to deal with big contracts anymore. They don't have to deal with star players vying for time like Carmelo Anthony and his um, his very full-fledged way of playing, but the Knicks are very, you know, they're they're an unorthodox Knickerbocker team. Knickerbocker team right now. They're very, they're very unorthodox. They're very, they they play very fluid. They play, um, they play with a vengeance. And Julius Randle has been playing very, very well, um, as well. And I mean, Doug, I you know, I think Julius Randle is going to win at least, you know, maybe most improved, but he's definitely going to win. You know, he's he's a a low-key contender for MVP. Yeah, I think that, you know, it's funny that you brought, you know, he's definitely like a tenure for most improved player. For for the MVP race, it's kind of funny because I was, I've been thinking about this, like, hypothetically, if I had a ballot, like, who would I vote for? Because right now, or not right now, on the on the ballot that voters get, they get five votes, votes right? You know, first, second, third, fourth, fifth. Right. And I was thinking, like, if I had a ballot, who, who would I vote for? Because this year is different. Like, there's been so many injuries to top-tier players. Like, I wasn't sure who I'd give my top pick because, like, Steph Curry's had this recent hot streak where he's been playing super well. He hit, like, 10-plus Yeah, he just threes, got that like, record a couple weeks ago. Yeah. Yeah, he, he did it, like, four out of five games. It was ridiculous. Yeah. Like, he's been on the a same tear. Time, the war- They're in playoff contention yeah, now, yeah. firmly in it. The, the thing is, though, they're at, like, 500, or at least they were a couple days ago. I don't know what their exact record is, but they're about, like, a 500 team. Like they've been hovering, hovering around 500 for the last few games, or the you know about this time, 
and I don't know if I could like give a a first play vote if to like a player. Like I feel like because like the MVP usually is on a team that's like the one or two seed in their conference in the NBA. And obviously, just because that's the precedent doesn't mean that's the way that voting has to go. You know, we saw Russell Westbrook won MVP a couple of years back when his team was the sixth seed. To be honest, I, I would argue that James Harden should have won that year. But nonetheless, it doesn't necessarily have to be from the one or two seed. Like, if I was voting right now, I think I would vote for Nikola Jokic, number one. And I think that's a pretty wide-held opinion. Number two, I, I might put, like, Dame Lillard. And then three, I'm thinking, like, Giannis, maybe four Kawhi, five Steph Curry. And I know, you know, you said Julius Randle, maybe borderline MVP candidate right now. It's just tough with the race this year because you can't vote for LeBron because he's been injured too long. You can't vote for Kevin Durant because he's been injured so long. You can't really vote for James Harden because he's, like, injured right now. And he had that first month in Houston where he wasn't, like, bad. Like, he was, he was like... I'm not putting up the numbers he's putting up now, but like people question his work ethic, like for that first month. So some people don't want to vote for him. So like the, the race is kind of muffled this year. And yeah, I kind of worked around that answer. I didn't really give a direct answer, but I just think that, you know, your original question was about Julius Randle. So I really went off the rails there, but yeah, Julius Randle's been, he's been, he's been good this year. And I think he might win most improved definitely just because of what he's doing with the Knicks. Yeah, definitely. I mean, you know, you didn't really go off the rails. Or actually, I was, you know, forming into my question there. So that yeah, it was good. I appreciate you know, all the insight there, of course. We'll, we'll step aside for a little bit. We got three minutes away from rapid fire before we conclude here on Friday. This is the Friday Crew on WRSU FM New Brunswick and online at WRSU.org. And it's time for Rapid Fire here on the crew, the Friday crew here, WRSU, WRSU FM, New Brunswick. We talked about a lot of, uh, you know, the college football playoff scenarios, subcommittees as well, but right out of the NFL, uh, Pittsburgh Steelers cornerback Justin Lane has been arrested, faces a felony on gun for a gun charge. He was arrested early this Friday morning uh, on a suspicion of transporting a firearm inside of a vehicle, according to jail reports, in Lake County, uh, Ohio. He was charged with two misdemeanors. He was driving with a suspended license and also for speeding uh, in the middle of the night at about three in the morning um, as well. He was they clocked him going 90 in a 60 mile per hour zone, 30 above the speed limit um, as well. He was their uh, third round pick in the 2019 draft out of Michigan Stadia. He appeared in 16 games last season, had 22 total tackles. Uh, He's got court date set for next month. He was granted release on a personal bond, but. Uh, not not good so far for uh, for Lane. Uh, not a good offseason for him to start as uh, speeding and also with a firearm, too, in his vehicle. Yeah, yeah. it feels you like... Know, definitely not a... Oh, go ahead, Kayer. I was going to say, it feels like um, right when uh, these athletes are about to, you know, get things going right for them, something always goes wrong, but... Uh, we'll see, we'll see the outfall of it. Yeah, definitely. It definitely, you know, seems like that, um, as well. Um, also, um, late last night, um, uh, very, very tragic, um, Kentucky basketball player, um, 
Uh, Terrence Clark died in Los Angeles. Uh, he was 19. He was going to be in the elected to go pro for the NBA draft. Um, this is very, this very sad, uh, very, uh, you know, very, very hard, very tough for loss for the family. Um, it was, he was in Los Angeles. Uh, he was in a car accident. Um, he was working out with a trainer and then he was in a, he, um, he was traveling at a high speed and then he ran a red light and then he hit another car turning left. And then he actually, he hit a pole, um, and a block wall. And, um, he, uh, they said, police said he was not wearing a seatbelt properly, but he, um, unfortunately, uh, he did not make it. Um, he, um, he also had injury problems last season. He missed 17 games with a foot injury. Um, but he, uh, he was pronounced dead at the hospital. Uh, very, very, very heartbreaking, um, to see, especially somebody with a lot of promise, um, with Terrence Clark, um, Rutgers, Rutgers basketball guard, Geo Baker was tweeting about it, um, saying that he's, he's watched, um, Clark's career, um, uh, being both being from the New England area, he was from Boston, Geo Baker from Derry, New Hampshire, uh, in that, in that New England connection, uh, Massachusetts and, um, in New Hampshire. So Geo was, um, you know, had seen him develop and he was posting a lot of stories about, um, uh, about Clark and how he would watch him play. I'm pretty sure they, they played together, uh, get, played against each other in AU in circuit. Um, but very, very tough to see, uh, somebody, uh, you know, especially, you know, he was 19, uh, in a car accident with a lot of promise and, uh, it's very sad. It's crazy. I mean, I, as you were just mentioning the story, I got a Twitter notification uh, from Geo Baker that said, uh, I'm sick to my stomach, bro. Life's so short uh, with the broken heart emoji. So uh, it it's just, it's it's tragic. I mean, at, at 19 years old, uh, I think we've all been on the road before and made mistakes. And uh, for something to turn out like fatal like that, it's just, uh, it's terrible. So I think all of our thoughts and prayers go out to to his family and uh, his teammates and uh, just everybody that is affected by this uh, directly. Yeah, it's just absolutely terrible for the Kentucky basketball family and just for him and his family and just truly someone who had the potential he was going to be in the NBA and it's just gut-wrenching to see. It truly is. But moving on with rapid fire, I guess I'm sure we all know Patrick Mahomes got a new blocker with a trade for Orlando Brown, and I think that's going to be huge for the Chiefs. I think it's exactly what they need, and I think that it's going to propel them to potentially being the favorites to win the Super Bowl this year. Yeah, yeah I mean, Garrett, I mean it's, interesting it's to... that the—or I'll go quick, Ronnie. So it's just interesting that, you go know, Kansas it, City— yeah, I mean, I thought it was interesting that Baltimore, like, I, I know they were going to go through with the trade, I guess, but, like, to trade it to Kansas City, who, you know, is one of the top contenders in the AFC mm-hmm. and, you know, likely going to the Super Bowl, I thought it was interesting that they kind of went through with the deal to, you know, your top competition, but you got to do what you got to do, I guess. But, yeah, Ronnie, go ahead. Yeah, I mean, I basically had the same idea. I was a little bit surprised that it was the Chiefs um, that got him. But again, they uh, I believe they let go Eric Fisher uh, in the offseason. They did have tackle issues in the uh, in the Super Bowl that we watched. And uh, I think that it's a, it's a really good move for both teams. I think that the, uh, the Ravens will probably look to get more offensive linemen probably later in the draft. And uh, I think Orlando Brown is, is a, definitely a difference maker. And I think the other thing, you know, 
it'll be interesting to see how he transitions to a scheme with Patrick Mahomes because of the way that Patrick Mahomes, uh, I mean, we like Lamar and, and he has a good arm, but Mahomes is the best thrower in the, uh, in the entire NFL. So uh, going from kind of a running scheme in Baltimore uh, to more of a pass heavy scheme in Kansas city, it'll be interesting to see how he adjusts. Yeah, definitely. It's going to be uh, interesting to see how he can adjust um, as well. Um, there's a lot of stuff, you know, coming up with that. Um, so definitely as well, uh, K.O.R., this is uh, coming right out of the Champions League as well. The Arsenal fans are have been protesting owner uh, Stan Kroenke after the Super League debacle. Um, also, the Spotify CEO, CEO is interested in uh, pursuing an ownership of the club um, as well. There were Arsenal fans outside of Emirates uh, Stadium before the team's Premier League match against Everton earlier today. Uh, to call for owner Stan Kroenke to sell the club. Uh, and Spotify co-founder and CEO Daniel Ek is now interested in buying London's club um, as well. And Chance saying, we want our Arsenal back. We want uh, Kroenke, Kroenke out. What do you think this means for KR? You can also touch about the Super League in general and how that debacle just as quickly as it happened, everybody left and it was uh, nothing in the end. Yeah, uh, I mean... I guess that's what happens when you try to uh, create literally a league of your own of the best clubs in the world and just try to kind of put all the other clubs uh, in a position where they can't even compete anymore or enjoy the sport. But that, uh, I think, like Arsenal's... I, I, the fact that now you have other... Um, representatives reaching out from companies to buy your club should know that should tell you give you a little bit of a hint that what you did or even the thought of you know departing from where your roots are was wrong and i mean if daniel Eck is able to you know i guess get arsenal to himself obviously it's gonna i think he put in like a four billion dollar bid or something like that um just to become part owner so it should be interesting to see what happens with that but i wouldn't be surprised if there are more i guess managerial changes in these soccer clubs i know uh, we had the chairman of manchester united step down as well after the team had kind of backed out a super league but i don't know i feel like the super league in in itself was just uh just kind of one of those things that showed the true nature of some of these clubs and um, obviously from the fans perspective and me included, it's not something that we wanted to go through or even be talked about, but I guess that's what happens. You know, one of the mottos everybody used was it was a game that was built by the poor, but ruined by the rich. And that's exactly what was about to happen. So, um, just being a fan of soccer, I'm sure you could probably agree with me where we're kind of glad to see that the super league didn't go through. Yeah, definitely. Um, you know, they also, you know, they would have been banned from competing in international, um, you know, and uh, the FIFA too. Uh, everybody was distraught, was distraught and very, um, very upset about that, about them leaving. Um, but just seeing now, uh, you know, Jared, this, the, you'll want to hear this about uh, Zach Scott, when the assistant general manager for the Mets, just uh, said, according to Justin Toscano, the, uh, one of the Mets beat writers for the USA Today Network of the record, North Jersey said Noah Syndergaard is on track to return by June. So uh, there is a timetable update on Noah Syndergaard, who missed all of last season uh, with that injury. Uh, he's not going to be. He didn't hasn't played in two seasons. Um, he's going to be playing uh, 
back now. Um, so he's going to get back up after his Tommy John from his torn UCL on his right elbow. He'll be that he suffered last March. He'll be back on the mound by in about June. Um, so about, you know, that's coming up soon. So great news for Mets fans as they get him to go in uh, into the rotation alongside Marcus Stroman, Taewon Walker, Jacob DeGrom, uh, Price, um, as well. Carlos Carrasco also has been uh, 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 progressing um, as well. Um, so there's definitely um, opportunity for the Mets, for pitching staff to grow in the middle, right in the heart of the summer. Yeah, it's definitely exciting to see that Noah Syndergaard. I was assuming he'd be on schedule just from what they've been saying the last couple of weeks, but it's good to hear that definitively they know he's on schedule. They know he'll be back in June, and it's just going to be, like you said, with the rotation with Carrasco and Syndergaard. The Mets have some really good pieces that are coming back to the team in the next couple of weeks and months, and it's just good to see that they're on schedule because, you know, Tommy John's a tough injury, and it's just exciting to have him back, and hopefully he stays on track and pitches in June. Yeah, definitely. We'll uh, we'll see what happens with that. That's definitely uh, something to keep in mind uh, with the Mets as well. Um, you know, we'll see what happens um, with them. A lot of good stuff coming up in the uh, horizon uh, for the Mets as well. Um, so there, it's it's good to see you know the rotation trying to come back in and for the Mets to go back in um, um, as well uh, so far. Uh, Ronnie, uh, the NHL just announced the, uh, they're going to be targeting October 12th to start for this upcoming season. Uh, it's a week later than a typical season, regular season would start. Um, you know, obviously the Seneca playoffs are going to roll right through mid July. So that's expected training camps or sources telling ESPN they'll be open on September 22nd. Um, it's definitely important, uh, for this, the NHL trying to get back into that season schedule, of course, with the availability of vaccines, the vaccine rollout and, uh, getting players, uh, you know, the time and all that, and ample time after the Stanley Cup. Uh, the NHL's been pretty good about um, COVID so far. Um, they had 56 games this season because of the COVID-19 pandemic. They could, um, you know, there could be delays. You know, if there are delays in the playoffs, that could push, you know, push the start date a little bit back. But what do you make of that start date to have NHL roughly back around the same time in uh, early October? Yeah, Shmeet. I mean, I, I I love to see it. it. It's great to see things getting back to uh, back to normal. Um, obviously, I, I'm a fan of the fact that we're going to get to see a lot of NHL playoffs um, in kind of the middle of the summer. Um, I, I like the fact that we'll get to see that. But uh, it is good to kind of get back to normal, get back on a regular schedule. And uh, it's good to see. And then, of, of course, you know, going into the playoffs, it's, it's exciting to see um, this kind of new format where they have the, the four divisions the four division, uh, the four top teams in each division make the playoffs. Um, so it's, it's something, you know, uh, it, it's something that's going to be interesting because um, again, all these teams, they're just playing interdivision, uh, they're intra division um, teams. So it, it'll be interesting to see like, if we uh, like kind of like what we saw with the big 10 uh, in, in the uh, NCAA tournament, you know, everybody was talking about how deep the big 10 was, how good it was. And then, once we got to the tournament, it ended up being the Pac-12 that really kind of dominated the tournament. So it'll be interesting to see. I, I still think that the Mass Mutual uh, East, which uh, you know, unfortunately the Rangers are eight games, uh, eight points back of a playoff spot. Uh, I still think that is the the best division in, in hockey right now. But uh, it'll be interesting to see if if the Canadian division, 
uh, or any of the other two divisions um, kind of show any kind of domination uh, in the playoffs. And uh, it'll be interesting to see those top teams really play against each other after having just played uh, only divisional teams. Yeah, it will be. You know, first two rounds are intra-division, as you mentioned. Um, so that'll be interesting to see uh, who they play out as well. I'm not sure how that's going to work with the Canadian division, though, because they've extended the uh, the shutdown of the border, U.S. and Canadian border. I'm sure that they'll be able to get around that. Um, so that's something to keep an eye on um, as well. And also in the NFL, uh, before we wrap up here, um, the uh, the NFL with uh, touched upon a little bit, but Baker Mayfield, uh, you know, he's ex- Cleveland Browns have exercised his fifth-year option. He's Extends his contract through 2022. Will he be make 18.86 million dollars? They also exercise fifth year on option on cornerback Denzel Ward um, as well. Uh, Baker Mayfield finished last season ranked 10th in the league in QBR with 26 TD passes. Uh, for basically from week seven to week 15, he was actually third, uh, only behind Rodgers and Mahomes. Um, so he's definitely uh, improving as well. He's also eligible for an expansion, extension, which the team could in, uh, pursue later this season. So Baker Mayfield, definitely uh, he's going to get his money's worth uh, next couple of years. Yeah, he'll get a lot of money, and it's well-deserved. He's played very well since he was drafted first overall. And the fifth-year option was just a good move for the Browns. They've got the whole year the whole season and the whole next offseason to give him the long-term contract that he deserves. And he'll probably be a Brown for life or for at least the next very long time, probably. Yeah, he definitely will be. I mean, he's one of the guys right off the bat that has really um, impressed me. Um, you know, he's, you know, he gradually came in the league out of Oklahoma and he's, uh, he's been playing very well at Cleveland. He's got a team with Odell Beckham Jr. with Nick Chubb at running back. Jarvis Landry as well, although Odell didn't really play much the last season due to that season-ending injury, so he didn't he didn't really have that um, that notion of with Odell and what that chemistry looked like. They're going to be a deadly team uh, next year. Well, that'll do it here for us on the Friday Crew. Uh, great conversation, as always. Uh, that'll do it here for the Friday Crew. Keep it tuned here to WRSU-FM New Brunswick and online at WRSU.org for further programming.